is thy faithfulness oh god my father there is no shadow of turning away thee thou changest not thy compassions they fail as thou hast been, thou forever will be. You sing it tonight. Sing. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. serve a faithful God tonight. Amen? He's faithful and he loves you tonight no matter the circumstances, no matter the choices you've made. He loves you tonight. Don't you ever forget that. Listen to these words. For you and me, it's 
it's undefinable it goes deeper than the sea and what kind of love would take my place die on a cross just to show me grace and what kind of Father, God, we thank you for, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the joy of gathering with your people. Lord, we thank you for a love greater than we can comprehend. Lord, if we come to this place tonight and all we see is one another, what a waste of time. If we come here and only see the J.J. Weeks band, then, then we've missed what matters most. Lord, if we only see a speaker or if we only find a fault, Lord, I pray tonight that you would set our focus wholly and squarely on you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In 1912, a traveling evangelist named George Bernard was heckled relentlessly by a group of young people while preaching the gospel in a revival meeting in Michigan. And although the revival service ended and their taunting fell silent, George Bernard could not escape their contempt for the gospel. It so grieved his heart and it so moved his heart that he felt inspired to respond to their animosity their animosity for the cross by expressing his 
affection for the cross. And the words that he wrote formed the lyrics of a great song that you and I have come to love along with the entirety of the church of Jesus Christ. And these are the words he penned. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. He wrote those words to express others might hate the cross, but I will cherish the cross. Others might disregard the cross, but I will love the cross. Others might turn away from the cross, but I will cling to the cross. And those words of deep affection for the cross became an anthem for the church, an anthem that has endured even as music has evolved. It has continued to be a treasure to those who treasure the cross. But how could George Bernard, how could he rightly describe the cross as the emblem of suffering and shame in the first verse, and then go on to write these words in the third verse. In that old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For twas on that old cross, Jesus suffered and died. How could he have the audacity to describe the horror of the cross as beautiful? What would motivate him to describe the unimaginable suffering of Jesus, the undeserved death of Jesus as beautiful? Isaiah 53 isn't the description of a beautiful scene. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, 
and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Isaiah's descriptive prophecy of the death of Jesus doesn't sound beautiful. Despised, rejected, grief, sorrow, stricken, smitten, afflicted, pierced, crushed, oppressed, slaughtered, cut off, death, crushed, those words would seemingly never be connected to beauty. Where is the beauty in John 19, 1? Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Where is the beauty in Jesus' body being ripped to shreds as he was scourged by a whip called the cat of nine tails? What is beautiful about that picture? How could you imagine that in your mind and describe it as beautiful? How could anyone recall the horror of John 19 2? Picture a crown of thorns plaited in a downward motion, forced on to the head of Jesus, piercing his skull. How could anybody picture that and describe it as beautiful? How can you picture John chapter 19, verse 5? Innocent Jesus, standing beaten and bloody, wearing a crown of thorns, his face swollen bruised from the crowd repeatedly striking him again and again and again with the palms of their hands. The beard having been ripped from his face. His body covered with bite marks because they attacked him like a pride of vicious, hungry lions. He was adorned with a purple robe so that they could mock him for his claim to be a king. How could you imagine a crowd viewing that man? Let's just put that picture back up of him standing. How could you, how could you view that man having already suffered to that degree and still cry out demanding his crucifixion. His body already ravaged by pain, pain unlike anything any of us has ever experienced before. And they cried crucify him. How do you think about that and describe it as beautiful? The mangled body of Jesus, moments away from being nailed to a cross and lifted up so that people could taunt him 
as he suffered his way to death. That is the scene described in John chapter 19, verses 16 through 18. How could anyone visualize all that Jesus endured and describe that scene as beautiful? What was beautiful about Jesus hanging on a cross? What was beautiful about him painfully struggling for every breath, placing pressure on the spike that had been driven through his feet, having to lift his weight up in order to gasp for another breath, Imagine having a spike driven through your feet, your body weight on that, that point of pressure, that spike having been strategically placed so that it would sever nerves. Imagine having to push up the unbearable pain just so that you could inhale another breath. What's beautiful about that? Knowing the historical record of crucifixion, the historical description of crucifixion, how could anyone find that as beautiful? History tells us that the pain was so intense that it often caused those who were crucified to vomit on themselves. Those who died on a cross usually did so covered in their own urine and their own feces. The sounds of their painful cries echoing across the spectators. That was crucifixion. That was the final hours of the only man who has ever lived on this planet who was able to say, I always do only those things that please God. That was the final hours of the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Breathing his last breaths, hanging on a cross. Hanging there because God couldn't answer his heartfelt prayer in the garden and provide a way for sinners to escape his wrath. Hanging there, enduring the horror and the agony, not for his own sins, he had none, but for the sins of others. It was our transgressions. It was our iniquities. It was our griefs. It was our sorrows. It was the chastisement of our peace. It was for our sake that it pleased God to bruise him. He wasn't crushed on account of his own sin. He was crushed on account of our sin. So what 
in the world would, would make George Bernard imagine the sights and the sounds of the crucifixion and describe those scenes as beautiful. What would make him think about the old rugged cross and even entertain the word beautiful? It wasn't the broken, bruised, bloody body of Jesus that was beautiful. It wasn't that the crowd continuing to mock Jesus even after he was beaten beyond recognition. It wasn't that. It was beautiful. That's not why the cross is beautiful. The cross isn't beautiful to a Christian because of how it appeared. The cross is beautiful to a Christian because of what it accomplished. It wasn't how the crucifixion appeared that causes us to say it's beautiful. But it's the wonder of what the cross accomplished. No other crucifixion in the history of mankind could be described as beautiful. That was only true of the crucifixion of Jesus. There is only one cross and one crucifixion that can be described as beautiful because there was only one cross that was adorned with a savior. There was only one cross that held God's sinless sacrificial lamb. Death on a cross wasn't uncommon, not at all. The cross was not exclusive to Jesus. As a matter of fact, he wasn't the only one who died on a cross. Accounts of crucifixions are recorded among many ancient civilizations. The Persians were first, and then the Assyrians, and then the Scythians, and the Romans, and the Germans, and the Celts, and the Britons. All of them at various times performed crucifixions. There's even historical record of mass crucifixions. Alexander Janus ordered the crucifixion of 800 of his enemies at once. After Spartacus died, approximately 6,000 of his followers were crucified along the road between Capua and Rome as a warning to any other potential rebels. Islamic warriors crucified people who refused to convert to Islam. And even during the rampage of ISIS, it wasn't unusual to turn on the television and see on the news multiple corpses hanging on makeshift crosses. The truth is, we have no way of knowing how many thousands of people have breathed their last breath hanging on a cross. We have no way of knowing. Even on the day that Jesus was crucified, he wasn't alone. There were others being crucified with him. But in spite 
of the fact that thousands of other people have died hanging on a cross, only one is known on every continent, in every country, in virtually every language on the face of the planet, by royalty and by beggars, by intellectuals and by the illiterate, by the famous and by the unknown, by believers and by atheists. Only one cross forces every other religion to acknowledge its impact. What about the thousands of other crosses? No religion deals with them. What about the thousands of other people who were crucified? No other religion has to give an answer. But one cross demands a response. One cross demands attention. One cross forces every single person of every single religion to confront and acknowledge its impact because only one cross changed the course of time and eternity. Only one cross satisfied heaven and shook hell. Only one cross exalted a servant savior so that he would be given a name which is above every name so that one day at the mention of his name, every knee would bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth. Only one cross led to the defeat of Satan to the extent that one day Satan himself will have to bow on his knees before the crucified Christ and declare that he is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Only one cross. Only one. Only one cross secured eternal life for sinners and the ultimate destruction of Satan. Only one cross. The power of the cross can't be contained. The reach of the cross can't be measured. The worth of the cross can't be calculated. And the impact of the cross can't be comprehended. And the message of the cross cannot be silenced. As long as there is one believer on the face of the planet, the message of the cross will be proclaimed. Even those who have lost their lives at the hands of ISIS soldiers have used their last breath before their heads are severed from their bodies to declare the lordship of Jesus Christ. And the reason we declare the cross and the reason we love the cross is because only one cross accomplished Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 through 15. And you. And you. And you. Who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Can everybody just say that with me? Nailing it to 
Let's declare it. Nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him. Only one cross would offer spiritual resurrection to people who were dead in sin. Only one cross would offer an opportunity to be welcomed into an everlasting covenant with God without any outward work of the flesh. Only one cross would offer guilty sinners the joy of being forgiven by an all-holy, completely righteous God. Only one cross would cancel the constantly accumulating debt of our sin. It was only one cross that canceled out the record of debt that stood against us. And that was the cross of Christ. So George Bernard wrote, in the old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. Here it is. Because it was on that old cross, Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. That makes the cross beautiful. That makes the cross beautiful. I want us all to stand. And I want us with one voice as one great choir to sing. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain let others mock so i'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at Let others push it away. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Sing it in the old rugged cross. Stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For twas on that old cross, sing it, church, suffered and died. Yes, yes. 
Listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast, be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your t-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast.